Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think. From mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching dramatic action-adventure novels, our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com str for three totally free thrillers. You won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com str. You have somehow ended up listening to the stuff that's real that you didn't know was real but also is cool podcast or sturdy dick were bayek or uh never mind Welcome back, folks. Thanks for listening. You may not notice this, but I certainly have noticed a brief gap in service programming here. There's been a couple weeks where I was hanging out with Mickey and speaking at conferences, and my lovely and gracious co-host, Mr. Tumlinson over there, has been moving house. Yeah. Um, I believe all the Mickeying and house moving is done for the moment. Would you tend to agree or disagree? Most of it. Most yeah. of it. I think we're at like, I'm going to call it 98% done. 98% Mickeyed? Yeah, we are Mickey'd. We are Mickey'd out. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm all Mickey'd out for sure. There's still a ton of stuff that's going to happen in this house, but the actual unpacking and moving, I'd say we're pretty close. I mean, when you're going from a van to a house, you know, yeah. it's, that's easier than the other way around, I would imagine. It, I don't know. That's a tough question to, to answer, really, because <laughs> getting into the van meant putting everything in storage. We, gotcha. we, we put a lot of work into it. We actually got compliments from our movers. When we were having stuff moved from the storage to here. The thing that complicated life here was everything got frozen for like a week or so. It, well, right. Um, yeah. But then <laughs> when we did get our stuff, like the movers were actually like, oh, we've never had it this easy because we actually spent a ton of money. I bought like these industrial shelves and we had these crates. And, you know, I really made an effort to get rid of cardboard as much as possible. So Sure. Most of our stuff was in well-labeled crates, plastic crates, that uh, that they, all they had to do was pick up and move. So that part <laughs> went smoothly. Well, good. Well, yeah, I'm glad you're got your feet on the ground, and I'm glad I'm back from Mickey Land. You might be able to hear it in my voice. There's a little bit of the airplane crud that you bring up, and of course, right before that, I was at Superstars Conference here yeah. in Colorado Springs and picked up a good fair share of con crud in the petri dish. Yeah, no, you're wearing masks and stuff, so all that stuff's impossible. Oh, is that what we were doing? That's what we were yeah. wearing masks and stuff. Yeah, that might that's be what, what we I was told. To I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway, moving along, moving right along. This, of course, is your favorite podcast, listener. Stuff that's real that you didn't know was real, but also is cool. You may or may not have known it was cool, but it is cool, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to tell you it's cool. This, and uh, I, can, I was telling you this before, by the way, man, but this has become my favorite podcast. Like, I re-listen to our episodes all the time. Like without the even a hint of bias. Podcast. No bias. No bias. Because what happens is I, I have my podcast app, and I'll play something. When one podcast ends, a new one pops up. Well, a lot of times it's whatever, you know, it's this playlist. So 
um, I'm already in that mode of listening to a podcast as a fan of podcasts mm. rather than yeah. as the creator of one, you know, mm. so I like no that. bias. Well, you're going to like this too, man. <laughs> We're going to talk about something really, this is kind of cool. Okay. It's interesting for sure. Very much real. So this definitely fits the bill. Have you ever heard of reef balls? I have not. This is the first time <laughs> I, I've encountered. I have either. I don't know if this is something that this company lifted from the cartels of yesteryear and the concrete shoes whole thing, you know, that whole thing, right? But these guys are a company that claims to be interested in memorialization. Okay. So without being more vague, these reef balls is what they call them. It's actually a foundation, the reef ball foundation. And then yeah. the company Reef Innovations is part of this family of companies. And the company that I'm on the website of right now is eternalreefs.com, R-E-E-F, of course. But these are designed materials is what they call them. They use for memorialization. Now, here's what that means. They are actually burying people at sea encased in concrete with the idea that these reef balls become coral reef for fish and ocean life. Yeah. And I'm thinking in terms, I know I see your face and I'm like, this has thriller <laughs> potential all over it. Does it not? <laughs> you know, not surprisingly, their website does not answer the question we're all asking. And that is, are these people dead when they throw them in the ocean and wrapped in concrete or are they still alive? I imagine their answer to that would be, no, of, of course they're dead. They're absolutely would be dead. They're Why dead by the time they get to the bottom for sure. But they are by the time they get to the bottom. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, man. So there's some cool pictures up here. Um, they are literally just balls of concrete, apparently human remains inside. And, you know, you can see over time, there's one that oyster oyster bed development happens, you know, and I know I from living in Hawaii and just sort of picking up a little bit of the lingo out there. I mean, I, reefs are great for a lot of reasons in ecological, you know, standpoint. Yeah. Um, they help with erosion control. I mean, obviously the sea life does live there. Yeah. You know, they're delicate. You know, so a lot of times there's sunscreens that ruin reef stuff. So then you have a big active beach full of people coming in to a slather on sunscreen. You're actively destroying these reefs. And so this is cool. This company is trying to help that, trying to prevent that. Huh. It does, to me, wreak a little bit of dumping trash in the ocean. <laughs> but you know what? Hey, they've got approvals and all these kind of stuff. But so you are the trash. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. The marketing speak. You, you are the trash. But I guess if you think about it, I mean, we're burying people all the time in the ground. And I'm looking at all these cemeteries going on. That could be a parking garage. That could be a parking lot. That could be a mall. You know, so in a sense, it's just a different form of trash. We're just dumping it in the ocean instead of into holes in the ground. I hope you don't, anyone listening, hear me diminish your dead grandma or anything like that. I'm not trying to say that the people are trash. But I kind of am. I kind of am saying that, you know, I'm sort of a fan of the whole, like, let's just turn people into ashes and spread them at sea and not waste a casket and $20,000 on funeral services and all that crap. Right. Uh, that's just me. I'm still young. So who knows? So what are your thoughts on this, man? Are you already plotting thrillers? I mean, some concrete chew? <laughs> this does lend itself to a crazy number of ideas just for fun. I went and quickly looked up like how many bodies are in the ocean, you know, and it says Surely in Google 2019, that, right? <laughs> Says in 2019, an estimated 236,000 people died from drowning, and it says that there's approximately 40,000 undiscovered dead bodies in the ocean. Uh, well, if they're undiscovered around how do you know? around the United States, that's an estimate. Approximately well, means estimate. In uh, wouldn't it be funny if they, Google was just like there are 318,751? Yeah, like there's a specific not number, and then exactly. as you're watching, it, yeah, it, it, it goes up to 52. <laughs> 
Yeah. So I just wanted to kind of get an idea of that's the number of like accidental deaths and stuff, right? Gotcha. People okay. lost at sea and things like that. So they're estimating over a course of a year or two years, whatever. So that's quite a few. So this idea though of like there's a lot of these little programs that that you know you can turn yourself into the roots of a tree, uh, you know, a tree bowl. Yeah, or, I've seen that one. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Now, the one I'm looking forward to is you can have your ashes molded into an action figure. So Ooh. I was going to have mine molded into a Spider-Man action figure. And I like that. Then I get to be Spider-Man for eternity. Um, I'm going to be taxidermized and placed we can, you know, like, like in a walking style. position somewhere <laughs> in the living room. <laughs> yeah. uh, part of me wants to do the launch my ashes into space thing because I think there's a fair chance that Cosmic radiation and other things could actually reawaken my Ooh. my genes. Well, but I know how you're going to die, and there's not going to be enough pieces left, my friend. <laughs> That's possible. Yeah. So, no, I think this is inter- really interesting as a concept. I think know, it's, it's been cool. a, the I mean, concept yeah, it's, itself it's been around for a while. Yeah. But the, the the whole preserving the reefs. They also have a section down here. I I noticed about the mangrove restoration. Yeah, I'm looking which, at that. Now, I recently learned that in areas like Costa Rica and and regions like that where they actually have mangroves, in the parts of those regions where the mangroves are left alone, they actually help prevent the major damage of tsunamis, right? Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. When you saw the whole thing with Costa Rica, all the regions that were the most hit, that had the most damage, had had their mangroves removed or replaced so that they could do things like grow rice and other stuff. So, yeah, I um, imagine rice wouldn't really help against a tsunami. Yeah, not patty. as not as good at uh, the patty just becomes the wave. As yeah, it comes exactly. So, hey, can I admit yeah, something to cool. you? If you promise not yeah, to tell anybody, I won't tell a soul. Up until like three months ago, I thought it was Costa Rico. Costa Rico. I thought it was that Costa is- Rico. Now, that is the guy who uh, drives around. <laughs> That's the guy's kind of just kicking around in like a Trans Am from 1979. The old El Camino. Uh, who sells pot at high school camps. It's Costa Rico. Oh, hey, it's Costa Rico. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought it was, man. I had so, a long time. Yeah. Costa Rico. I, I got so a lot of those. Violently corrected by my wife that now I know better. But Costa Rico yeah, is very things you, you important. Know, you never really say out loud. Yeah, that's an important landmark in the writing world because that's where Arthur C. Clarke lived and did a lot of his work. Oh, I didn't know that. That's that yeah. is interesting. Fun facts. Oh, fun facts. Yeah, man, reef balls. This is funny. This is kind of a cool. Yeah, yeah this is cool. If I were going to dispose oh, of a yeah. body, I would do it this way. Because who would ever find it? If you don't have like Elon Musk dollars where you can hide a body and launch it into space in a Tesla... Because I'm sure that happened. That's absolutely but, uh, how he got rid of his yeah. either successor he didn't like or biggest yeah. competitor. This is much more attainable. I remember now what the one that I was going to, I think I sent you this. There was somebody, I don't know if this is true or it was just like a meme, but somebody said they should get their ashes and put them in an hourglass and then they give them to their family yeah. for game night. That's just, So you're always yeah. able to be part of game night, you know? Just, yeah. Yeah, you're always. Uh, I like that one. That's kind of cool. But I could do like an elegant hourglass, sit on somebody's desk, you know. Yeah, that would be an interesting. If you had a thriller, little inscription says Thacker time. Thacker time. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) No, I'm thinking of like a maybe like a procedural crime mystery or something like that, where you find out at the end the detective is actually the guy who did it, and the detective the whole time had an hourglass on his desk. That was really nice, and find out that he 
just went and cremated the body and made an hourglass out of it and then stuck it on his desk as like a middle finger to everyone trying to find this person. Yeah. That'd be be a good one. That'd be good. I just realized I missed an opportunity there because it should actually, the inscription should be Nick of time. Oh man. And with that, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, we are forced, rudely forced to move along. Yeah. What you got for us today? You get, I'm well, reading it now. I'm excited about this one. The picture is terrifying. But. So I've talked about before how I did a podcast episode about the North Pond Hermit. And we've talked a number of times now about the idea of people who disappear, go off and do their own thing, disengage from society, etc. And, you know, there's a variety, there's a spectrum of stories that happen around that. But today I'm going to talk about the Hermit of the Swiss Forest who has gained the nickname. Lay Loyan, Lay Loyan, which, by the way, nobody seems to know what that means. So <laughs> no translation has been given, but he or she actually earned the nickname. Basically, in the Swiss forest, there is a figure who dresses in a sort of camouflage cloak that comes down to about mid, we'll say calf, and wears a, like a World War II gas mask and just creeps along in the on the trails, the the forest and mountain trails in uh, Switzerland. And over the years, people have seen this figure, but it was like 2013 before anybody really captured a photo or, you know, whatever. And there's a lot of theories about Le Loyon is, or what this is, or what this means. And some of it's sort of, you know, it's all speculation because no one's ever talked to this person. Sure. But they wear a long cloak or trench coat and they have a gas mask on, and they just sort of creep along here. So some people think, well, maybe it's a prepper, you know, somebody who is convinced that the doomsday is upon us, and so they live out in the woods, in the mountains, all alone, and just trek out whenever they need something. And they wear the gas mask because they're afraid of, you know, this is back, you know, started around 2013, so it wasn't about the pandemic, but they might have been afraid of whatever, viruses, gas leaks, nuclear attacks, or whatever. And so... Maybe that's who they are. Some people think maybe it's someone who is just mentally unbalanced and this is how they live. So, I mean, there's a lot of speculation about it. What's intriguing to me is like, why hasn't anyone? Apparently this person, whoever this is, walks these same trails all the time. So you would think somebody at some point would have contact and come into contact with them and had a conversation with them. Or set up a Um, camera on the trail, you know, just like, let's capture this thing. Because they've only gotten like one photo, right? Now, in 2013, there's a French website named Le Matin or Le Matin, or I'm very not French, but... means the morning, Le Matin. Le Matin, right. They published a suicide note that was allegedly from Le Loyon, and it was found in the forest alongside Le Loyon's trademark outfit, and it said that the increased scrutiny had made suicide a much more preferential decision. I don't think the person writing this article, I don't think, is using appropriate English. So Leilon accused Le Matin of murdering a very harmless being by revealing its existence. (laughs) So that just intensified the mystery around this. Like, is this person Mm -hmm. actually gone now? Because they never found a body. All they ever found was the outfit and a note. So that could have been planted by literally anyone including Le Loyon themselves. Anyway, this is the kind of thing that's intriguing to me because this is just ripe for 
you know, let's we could take this oh, yeah. and turn this into all kinds of stories. I even actually wrote a, a novella. It was the first crossover between my two main series called The Man Below. And that character behaves very much like this character. And this was had not read this article or I discovered this back then. But, you know, there is I've used a concept like this in one of my books and it went over very well. And it's very creepy, very suspenseful you know, to include characters like this. Because you don't know their motives. You don't know their motivations. It's almost like it's sort of the reason that Jason from Friday the 13th has been an enduring character. And also Michael Myers from the Halloween films. Yep. Because they're silent, you don't hear from them. And they're imposing in some way. And they're creepy in some way. All they have to do is exist to strike terror into people. So that's where... Lay Loyon falls on the uh, the spectrum. So I'm always interested in stories like this for some reason. This is great, man. I'm thinking, uh, have you ever read The Descent by Jeff Long? Did they make a film of that? Ooh, or, or was it unrelated? Because there was a film called The Descent. Oh, the yeah. Th- there was like a horror yeah. movie. Yeah, was, which like they, falls into a cave or something, I think. Yeah. I don't know that that's the same. I, I doubt it. I, I didn't see that, but I doubt that's the same story. Uh, but no, The Descent, I think it's one of the most fantastic thrillers that's ever been written. I think it is a classic, phenomenal book. Jeff Long wrote The Descent. I think he even wrote a follow-up. But basically, the premise is there's a race of people, humanoids, I should say, because they're not even people anymore, living underground in a very huge, elaborate, sprawling cave system. Yeah. And because they haven't you know, had light for hundreds of years, it's like thousands of years or something like that. So they've actually like evolved. So it's, it must yeah. be like 10,000 years or something. But, the, you know, it kind of starts the same way where there's like sightings of these things. And so they're like myth and legend around the world. And yeah. they eventually go down and find out that, oh, these are like humans walked into a cave a long time ago and then never came out. Yeah. And so they survive on like bioluminescent, you know, light, plant life and animal life in the caves. But they've never gotten vitamin D from the sun. And he explains it all in like a scientific kind of way. So it's like plausible and believable. And this reminds me of that in less of a like new species way and more of like this like it reminds me almost of a Japanese soldier who I was going to bring that story up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like this guy wasn't informed that World War Two ended and he's just been running around the woods like, you know, it was it went deeper than that because he was actually ordered by the emperor to go and and do this. Give up his arms, right? Yeah. Well, no, the way it played out was he got his orders from the emperor to go and win the war. And the orders included, no matter what you hear, no matter what they tell you, it's all disinformation. And so you have to keep fighting until the war is won. And so you end up, this guy was a general. He led his troops out into the jungle and they fought for like 50 years. And over that time, a lot, all of them ended up dying except him eventually. And he just became known as this crazy soldier out in the jungle. And no matter People would make contact with him, but yeah, he, and he didn't they, believe anybody. Yeah, they went to the extent of dropping flyers out of airplanes to yep, tell. I remember them, that. Yep. Yeah, this is over. So yeah, I was actually going to bring that story up because that is kind of what this reminded me of the idea that maybe this person. So this is in Switzerland. So there is the potential that this person is uh, like a German soldier or something, like or? a holdover from yeah World War yeah. Two. That's kind of a stretch back, but they may yeah, age wise. Yeah, it wouldn't quite work out. But yeah, I mean, you could make a case that there's like these are preppers and it's yeah. not just one Leon. You know, it's like a bunch of people yeah. that live in this community underground 
and they obviously have to go outside to get supplies and things like that. And this is people just see them and, and maybe yeah. they're like, they're completely harmless because they use the same yeah. trail every day. It's not like they're trying to hide. They're just living their life underground and everyone's afraid to follow them and ask them a question, you know? Right. Yeah. And that would be a cool way of taking it, you know, because I could easily see one of these old German bunkers or something becoming like a huge hive for an underground city effectively. Yes. Yeah, that'd be kind of a cool turn on it. I think that would be actually a kind of a fun story. There's a topic that I have on my list for a future episode, the hollow earth theory. And oh, you yeah. cannot uh-huh. cheat and go look ahead. But oh, I I've heard of this on one. Though. Yeah, that'd be a good one. But yeah, if you're I listening, don't, don't look ahead. Don't look ahead, listener. Um, break the news to you. That gels well with the plot from The Descent and that sort of thing. So this is what I got interviewed on a podcast yesterday about thriller writing. And one of the questions was like, basically, it's the same question as, as where do your ideas come from? Right. Where do you take your inspiration? And I gave an explanation that I think is accurate. And for the authors listening, I think this is going to be useful. But also, if you're just a reader, it's a good insight into how these stories can kind of come about. But like I kind of move through life like, you know, those whales who have like like a gill structure or something that just filters the little fish and stuff that they oh, the krill. So they filter all that and then they consume that and that becomes the meal. Even though it's billions of tiny little fish, they it's a big enough meal for this giant whale, you know. And it's kind of the same way I consume material in the world. And all that You're stuff ends up whale. kind of coming together. I'm a giant whale. And everything I encounter is krill. And your mouth is just open, and sucking everything in constantly. Right. Oh, and then eventually it coalesces into a thing. It becomes a thing. And so you get these little pieces, uh, Le Loyon and Hollow Earth Theory and the nuclear stuff that's happened, the weird stuff that's happened, the mutations and things around Hiroshima, yeah. stuff like that. So all that stuff ends up coming together and a plot is born. So that's the sort of origins of a lot of the better books and movies and stuff that are out there, in my opinion. I like that, man. That's a good way. So I've got a similar. um, Oh, let me find where I put it in the notes here. Generic plotting guide. I like this. I had this thing for my Harvey Bennett series. I was like, well, what are these books like about? Like, how am I doing this, basically? And it was meant for my own personal use to make sure that I was kind of on track with, you know, hey, Harvey Bennett's been successful so far. Let me try to identify why so that I can continue doing that. And what I came up with was a simple one line, something scientific, something historic, something exotic, right? And that's it. Like exotic meaning uh, usually a location, somewhere new, you know, like sure, I put a book in Philadelphia, but we've all been to Philadelphia, right? So like, let's go go to Antarctica. And so there's something kind of cool about that. You know, I even reached back even further and my like from book one, from what's now called the Atlantis Stone, I used to have a swipe file. I called it my swipe file. It was a green folder. Mm-hmm. And I would literally tear out any of you listeners who were born, you know, in like the 2000s, you may not know, but there's a thing called paper that magazines used to be printed upon. And yeah. we used to have to read them by flipping through them and pulling out articles, right? Yeah. So I used to get Popular Science Magazine delivered and I would go through and I would just rip pages out that were interesting pieces of tech. A lot of these mm-hmm. were prototypes, you know, a lot of these were, you know, that, hey, one day we're going to have this. But that was the kind of stuff that I wanted to put in my books. That was like the near future technology that was easily explainable by current scientific you know, knowledge, but yeah. it didn't quite exist yet because no one had built it. And I would always usually give that to the bad guy. Be like, yeah, they're going to take over the world with this magical thing. But yeah, man, I do the same thing. It's like, I just collect all these pieces of ideas. And so for example, in the book, 
it's, it's a Harvey Bennett book called The Mendel Paradox. I knew what I wanted to write about. I'm not going to give it away because what I'm about to say isn't what the book's about. But I knew what I wanted to write about. I knew I wanted to set it in Switzerland. Again, somewhere exotic that I'd never been before. So I chose this place called Grindelwald because it had such a cool like Beowulf name, right? Yeah. Uh, which is a quaint little mountain town and very, very pretty. And the opening scene, there's a girl walking to her parents' house down a forested path, you know, and she gets mm-hmm. abducted. And we don't know why she got abducted or by whom. But now, when I heard you tell me this story of Le Loyon, that's a terrible name. We're going to change that. I started thinking maybe I'd come across this article before. And that was like what spurred me to write this opening scene of her getting, you know, kidnapped. Mm-hmm. And of course, I didn't go further into that part. I, she shows up later on in a you know research laboratory or whatever. But yeah. it's that kind of stuff, man. We just kind of collect all these little pieces. And yeah. okay, I need a thread of believability here. So guess what? There's a real thing called Le Loyon, and yeah, and you know that. And so if you wanted to go research, that you'd find this, and you'd be like, oh wow, okay, he was probably talking about that. I was I just thinking, that. I love doing that. Like cool. the scenario of your story, like it brought up. You remember uh, the hills have eyes. Yeah, I don't think I ever saw that. But yeah, yeah, I remember that that one. I think it's been a very long time. But I think the premise was that they were, I could be mixing it up with another movie, but that there was a very inbred kind of bunch of hillbillies who periodically would abduct mostly young women as breeding stock, basically. Uh, um, so I thought the thought of that, and if that is not the plot of Hills Have Eyes, by the way, don't blame me. It's been a very long time since I've seen it, but I know something had that plot, but the, I started thinking, okay, what if this, that's the kind of thing that's happening here? Like this hermit is part of a larger group and this person's responsibility is to don this gear and go out into the outer world and bring back resources. And some of those resources are fresh breeding stock. And that happens to be young men and women you know, that would lend itself to a very suspenseful story. What if the gas own. mask is actually, what if the Lay Loyon person is actually the abductee, you know, and or the abducted, the person who's, yeah. what's the word, what, abductee, right? Abductee, They're the person yeah. who's been abducted and they put the gas mask on them so that no one knows who it is. And then the gas mask basically like has some sort of chemical gas in it that makes them woozy and like laughing gas yeah. kind of thing. And yeah. then they just told them, there's like a little headset they put on. It's like, hey. Here's what's happened. You've been poisoned. We've gotten your location and we're going to try to navigate you out of the woods and back home. You just need to listen to these instructions, you know, and then that leads them right to their secret bunker. Yeah. Yeah. See, there's so many ways you can take so many ways and all of them are creepy. Every single one of them. They're all. And it's because the guy is wearing a, you cannot tell if this person is male or female. You don't know if they're disfigured. You don't know anything about this person because of nope. the head-to-toe cloak and the gas mask. Yep. So that's the don't show the shark formula, right? right? Steven Spielberg did not do it on purpose. No, it didn't it look really real enough. Just, they didn't want to show the, they didn't want to show well, the it shark. Was a, they had a malfunction. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. And so he ended up cutting around the shark and okay. only using it for a couple of scenes and yeah. did look fake. But that wasn't why they didn't show it. The reason they ended up not showing it is because it kept malfunctioning. And so he inadvertently discovered a principle that works very well in storytelling, either in film or on the page, which is don't show the monster. You know, show the effect of the monster, of the serial killer, of the the reactions of people seeing the monster, but don't show the monster itself. Yeah. Right. 
And, you know, if you translate that forward, like that got used in a lot of, especially films around that era. Like once people sort of discovered that, it got sort of overused in a way. But like, you know, the original Alien film, you know, they avoided showing the aliens directly a lot of the time, you know, like John Carpenter's The Thing, right? Uh Yep. Like you never really see that creature. There were a lot of films like that. They did it again in Jurassic Park for a few scenes where you, for the longest time, the only dinosaurs you saw were the friendly, you know, dopey ones. Right. right. And then the, <laughs> you never really saw the raptors or the T-Rex until they were killing, you know? Right. So yeah. no, for sure. that sort of thing, your imagination will make something much more frightening than seeing it directly. So, you know, as a writer, we want to play with that a lot, you know? Leave the questions. I've done it inadvertently too. Like I've had things, Basically, I have written stories where I was actually being kind of lazy and didn't fill in details or something. And it turns out that that made the story much more relatable, you know? Yeah, Yeah, I've been there. Early feedback on one of my books was that I didn't have enough detail about what the characters looked like or whatever. And But that was from like a very particular person who wanted to know that detail. I've never since then had a single person say, well, you didn't describe Dan Kotler, you know? I've never described Dan Collard. Right. There are people who assume that my character Roland Denzel is black. And I've yeah. never stated whether he was or not. And I kind of feel like that's probably the best way to go. I've only identified one character's race in those books. And that is Liz Ludlum, who is black and female and brilliant. I don't know what made me decide that I would call that out. But I right. could have written the whole thing. I guess I wanted to call it out because she had a history and background that involved that would have tied in with her race, you know, but I've never mentioned whether or not any of the characters were black, white, Asian, you know, it doesn't even matter. And I think nobody cares. It's kind of the same theory as, um, I think that Marvel comics and and Stan Lee and Jack Kirby or was it Steve Ditko? I don't remember the artist for Spider-Man, but they created Spider-Man. Spider-Man was this full body costume. Later, they sort of retconned like, yeah, that's because anybody could be Spider-Man. But at first, it was just a colorful costume that covered them head to toe. But eventually, it sort of did become a thing where it's like, yeah, anybody could be wearing that mask. So it made it a much more relatable character. I like it. I digress. (laughs) So that's what the show is about. Digression. We could retitle the show, I digress. Professional digression (laughs) by Kevin and Dan. Yeah, well, that's been good. This is some good stuff. I hope if anyone's listening has some ideas for us, you can send them back to us. I hit the website, stuffthatsreal.com, and you'll find a way to contact us. But yeah, hopefully you at least get some fun ideas here in your own fiction. We'd like to hear what you think. Please do reach out. Don't hesitate. And of course, come back next week. We will have more stuff that's real that you didn't know was real, but also is cool. Delivered directly into your brain. I am your host, Nick Thacker, and for Kevin Tomlinson... We'll see you next week. Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think. From mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching dramatic action-adventure novels, our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages, eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com str. 
for three totally free thrillers. You won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com slash str.